Last time we looked at this wonderful closing of chapter 6. It's written from verse 53. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. <clears throat> and whithersoever he entered, into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. And this is what we do in prayer, as we don't have the physical body of the Lord Jesus with us, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But his presence is with us. And by prayer of faith, reach out and touch them of his garment. Hallelujah. Receive our healing. Chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I'd like to give an opportunity, if possible, for the family of God to read the powerful, unchanging Word of God. So if someone would like to read in chapter 7, we can read from verses 1 to 13. Someone please read 1 to 13. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13. Jesus teaches about inner purity. On one day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. Similar, they Is it don't... Similarly? Yes, thank you, Pastor. Similarly, I don't know why I can't pronounce it. My apologies to the word. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat with, they eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. Jesus replied, "You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, 'These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts hearts are far from me. Their worship is in a farce, for they teach man." made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. 
Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. They tried to find fault with the Lord Jesus and his disciples, and he pointed out to them that you're actually nullifying or trying to cancel out the word of God with your vain tradition. Because these things were supposed to give them a sense of cleanliness, but their hearts, as we will see, the Lord exposing their hearts, were far from God. It was an external piety. And we want to be careful when we read the Word of God, not just to look at the context historically, what was going on back then, this confrontation with the religious hypocrites, but to see whether we need to be cautious about anything like that in our lives. For example, we may fast. Fasting is a good thing. And if someone is directed by the Lord, if they are impressed in their hearts that I need to have a regular time of fasting, not just occasionally, there's no law for that. We're not under the law. However, a person may be led. There are certain people, for example, John Wesley, again, the great founder of Methodist, uh, Methodism, I should say, the Methodist Church, and so wonderfully used of God by the Holy Spirit back in the 1700s. It said that he required the ministers who trained under him as a minimum to fast twice a week. And it was to combat the evil powers that would try to make them become self-indulgent, lazy, carnal, and all those things. And many people fast, and of course the Pharisees fasted, and they even said John's disciples fasted. We read that. But fasting really will not have any value whatsoever unless we are understanding of the objective that it is for a spiritual result. And it must be done in a spiritual way. It's far more than just abstinence from food. It's a means to focus more on the spiritual things by neglecting that which we're so accustomed to do every day, which is eating, which we need to do. But there are periods in which we forego that so that we can 
give more exclusive attention to the things of God and for our spiritual growth or for some breakthrough, some deliverance. So these people were doing the fasting, but it had no value for them. That's just one tradition. Along with these washing of the hands, the ceremonial things they made up, and many other things. The Lord pointed out how they talk about some vow they've made to God, and under the guise of being spiritual, they actually neglected their own parents. Now we need to always think through, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the context in our own situation. If parents are not, not only not walking with the Lord, one's parents, but they're actively agents of Satan to resist the work of the Holy Spirit, and they badmouth God and badmouth the Church of God, they badmouth everything that the Spirit of God is doing, we're not under obligation to cater to their every need and comfort. It's not to say be cold and not fulfill your responsibility. But we must be careful not to support and encourage directly or indirectly one who is an enemy of God, even if it's their own parents. This is why the Lord said that in the family there will be hostility in cases where some of the family are following God and some are not. Can I ignore that? Can I say, well, God said to love and that's about it. Then I would have to ignore all the other things the Lord said about being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, making sure that we don't honor man above God and it includes parents. Although the Lord gave the fifth commandment way back as we read by Mount Sinai in Exodus when we went through Exodus, He's the one that said, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long on the earth and may be well with you. But he's also the one who said, through the same Moses, he told the people, who's on the Lord's side, come over over here. Come over to me. Take out your sword. Remember that? What do we do with such passages? Do we say, well, that's brutal. That's, I don't know if it belongs to Scripture. I don't know what it means. We need to look to the Lord for understanding. And when we look at what the Lord said, He that loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. It's very important to read the whole scriptures, all of the scriptures, and work through this not with our own understanding, but with God's wisdom. Ask God. Because people fall into pitfalls and snares and they actually opened the door for the devil to come and wreak havoc in their own families and spiritual progress because of this humanistic kind of love that they believe is God's kind of love, but they actually enable the enemy to use people, even parents at times, to come and stop the work of God. It can be covertly or overtly, subtly or quite blatantly. 
We need to be able to navigate these things to please God and not man. Possible. We've seen it happen. Many, many people, they think love means you just do whatever is the loving thing to do in your eyes and what people say and what they pressure you with. It takes spiritual understanding to separate the truth from error and to follow the truth if the person has a willing heart. But if somebody is not sincere, one is not sincere, they'll just uh, go over and gloss over these things and keep on catering to even father and mother who are actually speaking for the devil need to have a clear separation. Jesus, did we find him go back to his mother? When they kicked him out of the house, did we ever find him going back to the house and saying, you know, we have some differences, but I'd like to come over for Thanksgiving and let's just pretend that there's no problem and I know you said some bad things. But I'm the son of God. They some really mean things. I forgive you. We can talk. It's okay to agree to disagree. I know you're blaspheming my father. You said I'm out of my mind. You said go show yourself to the world. We don't want you here. You're deranged. You didn't come to my meetings, but I'd like to come over and be the peacemaker. Many people fall into the trap of the devil because they don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a very critical thing. Majority of Christendom, even in evangelical churches, they have no clue about the machinations of Satan, how he sets up people through a humanistic pull to get them into a snare. So not only is their spiritual progress stunted, they get into a delusion and confusion. And they become a participant because they value people above God. It's a lesson that God wants to teach. Now, often you find when we go to the scripture, this was not planned at all. God is my witness. We find applications coming from different areas in the scriptures. God has something he's speaking to us today. In the immediate context, historically, he's telling them, you're dishonoring your mother and father because you hypocrites You're claiming to be religious and devote something to God when actually you're robbing your parents the the help that's due to them. These are people who said, oh, mom and dad need to eat. They're old and they have limited income or no income or, you know, as the firstborn and the secondborn, I'm supposed to do this for them. After all, they looked after me. After all, the law says I have to honor them. Oh, sorry, I've already dedicated the money that I'm supposed to help you with for basic survival uh, to the temple. They were greedy, ravening wolves, the Lord says in Matthew 23. Such liars. No wonder the Lord was so angry with them. They were disgusting. They pretended to be holy and religious and they perverted God's law to suit their own selfish ends. But lest someone should hear this today and say, well, 
I'm supposed to love family and be with family and honor mother and father and take care of one's own. Didn't God say in Timothy through the Apostle Paul by the Spirit, if somebody doesn't take care of his own family, he's worse than an infidel. It's as if he's not even a believer. He's no good. But I have to take all of this together, the whole counsel of God. That's why a little knowledge, as they say, can be more dangerous than no knowledge. Because now we can think that I have a handle on something and begin to have a generic humanistic application to everything and be really blind and get slaughtered by the devil. As we go through the scriptures, as we hear and ask for God's enablement for a spiritual hearing, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear then as we grow and mature, we're able to navigate. No, this is not the time to do this. And here's a tactful way that the Spirit of God has shown me to avoid being with family at certain times because the devil is looking for an opportunity. What family? I'm not talking about people who are born again. Even if they're not spiritually mature, it's a vast difference than people who actually hate God's person. They're people. How do they blaspheme? Do you see them go up and down the street cursing Jesus and putting uh, graffiti everywhere to that effect? No, how they do it is they pervert God's truth and they twist it and they try to condemn you who's seeking God, as I said, either directly or indirectly. They make light of the things of God. There's actually a dragon speaking through them. What business do we have there? This is where that loyalty comes in to discern. Now, we pray for our people unless and until God says, stop praying. This sends a tremor worse than an earthquake high on the Richter scale for many Christians. What in the world is he talking about? Stop praying? Didn't Samuel the prophet say that it's a sin for me, people. I know you're a wayward people, Israel, all kinds of trouble, idolatry. Far be it from me that I shouldn't pray for you. It'll be a sin. Generally speaking, yes, but then God came and told Samuel, leave Saul alone. I'm done with him. We need to grow and mature and get close to the heart of God. Now, in the scripture, though you see multiple instances where God says that, even through Jeremiah, it's not the general case, it's not the norm, because God's heart is to win people at all costs, which is him giving his life on the cross. He paid the ultimate price. And as the Apostle Paul says, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the barbarian or the Gentile, he says, I'll adjust myself, not sinning in any way, but he said, I'll, I'll humble myself and do the wisest thing that the Spirit of God leads me to, to win people over. He said, I'm willing to forego my own ego, my reputation, whatever I think I have in this world. I'm expendable 
for the glory of God to save souls. Hallelujah. So shouldn't we be that way? Do whatever it takes. Unless the Lord says back off. He said that to Jeremiah. You have things that he said to Ezekiel to that effect. You have what he said to Moses to that effect. To Samuel. Even the Lord Jesus we just read. Last time, was it? In this very gospel. He says, shake the dust off your feet, keep walking. But how do you discern if somebody's receiving it or not, the message? The more we walk with the Lord, we'll be able to pick up the vibes, as they say. You don't have to wait for a full confrontation, which becomes very ugly and public. The Spirit of God will show you who's speaking at this point through your relative and how they're going against God not so that we can get all upset and vocal and try to fight them, no. But to recognize when the serpent is active. We need to be very careful that we don't fall for that bait. May the Spirit of God give us understanding to know how to apply the scriptures, not to ignore anything the Lord said. We're in a day and age, as we repeatedly say these last days, Many, many people in the churches are deluded. They don't know how to stay away from snares. The devil does the same thing. He beats them over the head with the same hammer. Usually through people close to them. They wonder, why am I not really going forward? Why is it a wilderness journey? Because the separation hasn't occurred. Still carrying Egypt within the heart. Back to this context here in the scriptures. The Lord says, there are many things you're doing to the religious people that you're effectively canceling out the word from the mouth of God in order to hand down your own tradition. Now, where's the competition here? Surely it's the devil through these people. Who else would want to cancel the word of God out? Minimize it. Pervert it. You don't find it explicitly stated in every line. And the devil, the dragon, the red dragon, as in the book of Revelation, he was spewing venom and he got into this Pharisee and that Pharisee. These men with beards and looking venerable had the right look, the right tone of authority. They had all the people's admiration. They had a position in the temple, the Sanhedrin perhaps. Imagine if the scripture said at every turn and Satan with his eyes of perversion is breathing right through them and Jesus can see the dragon. The Lord saw everything. But as we keep reading scripture we see how human beings can be used by the devil whether through a direct confrontation to provoke to anger that is 
beyond what God requires. It's not righteous anger. Or to bait us into fearing through intimidation tactics and threats. Or to come and be very buddy-buddy and flatter us and try to still get us to do what they want. One of the things the Lord said in the Bible is that we need to protect ourselves. This is virtually non-existent in the teaching of many, many places where people attend services. But the Bible is full of warnings. Even such a thing as don't set foot in your friend's house, your brother's house, acquaintance, too often. There are certain things that can be advised against by the Spirit of God if only we'd listen. Because there are evil spirits roaming around and they speak through people. So when we look at love, we look at sympathy, we look at the desire to help, that, that Spirit of God that caused us to want to be kind and extend a hand. At the same time, is the Lord who said, the poor you have always with you, but me you don't always have. There's a counterintuitive often type of direction God gives that we can miss altogether because there are certain things He wants us to do at any given moment with certain people and certain things he doesn't want us to do because it can be a snare to our soul and to people who are with us. We've been teaching this in our church as the Spirit of God is leading and as Kirby especially many times to many of the ladies how to keep themselves safe and how not to fall for a feeling that would lead them to venture into territory under the guise of wanting to win people over or be there for them so they don't get into a snare, into trouble. And this happened time and time again when the counsel was ignored. And as the spiritual parents, we have the burden, especially Pascurva, to reteach the same thing and to pray for deliverance. The very real thing. Now we can pretend and say, well, you just teach, you know, the commandments, teach about hospitality, you pray and we'll be there for you. Then the church will be like most places, lukewarm, not a threat to the devil. And we will prosper externally, but be spiritually lean and dying. But God is raising an army of people who are loyal to him. God says, don't go to that village. But Lord, you want them to get saved. Didn't you say that God so loved the world? That village surely is part of the world. We heard the teaching on this. Don't go, by the way, the Samaritans. Can we pick up on what the Holy Spirit is saying? At what point? That which seems to be right and had been done before, at this particular point, God says, no. 
Or do we go like an ox to the slaughter? Press the gas pedal. I'm going. Praise God for his mercy. But there comes a point in which God will allow someone to go to a deeper fall if they keep on being stubborn when God says, I'm telling you not to do this now. But Lord, I love them. They love me. They, you said about love. We can give all kinds. You see, these people, these Pharisees, were taking parts of the scriptures and they're twisting it. They needed that material, the scriptures. Otherwise, people won't buy it. You think the Israelites will say, well, you brought something from the astrology of the East. No way. What's gotten into you? Or here are some elements of Buddhism that we incorporate into Judaism. I know quite a number of Jews that are far from even their Jewish scriptures. I took a Judaic Studies class, I remember, many, many years ago, decades ago, Brooklyn College, and the professor, this is an important point, as the Lord brings to mind, a short lady, rather short lady, in her 50s, I believe, at that time, she was a Holocaust survivor, and she wrote a book. I believe it's called The Hasidic Tales. Very, very heart-wrenching collection of stories of people who tried to cope some with faith, some with religion, during this horrible ordeal by that madman, Satan-inspired Hitler and all his cronies. This woman had the Israeli accent. She was in the Israeli army, actually, as a youngster. And she said, I was actually taught by a cabinet member of President Kennedy in the early 60s. They brought us over, and she was taught by one of the cabinet members of President Kennedy's administration. And we had wonderful discussions. It was a lively class, and we had a number of Russian Jews there and different people, and I was probably the only Gentile there. I was interested in Judaic studies as an elective because of the gospel. But I remember that she was a very uh, liberal person, in a good way and in a bad way. Because she was talking about what defines a Jew, and along with it, she said, somebody invited me to their religious experience, and it was some kind of cultic thing. She said, I went and I enjoyed it, the ceremonies and everything. I don't subscribe to it, but it was a wonderful gathering. And then also, there's no problem if there's a Jew that's a homosexual. There's no problem at all. You can have gay Jews. You can have Jews practicing astrology. They're still a Jew, you see, because they have that physical stock of lineage from Abraham. But should that Jew become a believer in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, all of a sudden he or she is disowned by the Jewish community at large, no longer a Jew. How diabolical. After all, what did this Yeshua teach? Love your enemies. I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He healed. He raised the dead. He said, I'm coming to restore all things. Rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Can you get any more Jewish than that? 
it's the dragon that comes in, and this was a uh, again a gentle lady, though she was a soldier, formerly, very amiable, very approachable. And I wondered as I saw this, and also in other classes, how this religion had become perverted to the extent that anything goes, but not Jesus. This is exactly what happened with these people. They had the word of God and they began to mess with it to their own destruction. This is why the Lord said in verse 6, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but inside they have nothing to do with me. Stage 1 or step 1 God exposes the true condition of the heart. And so we are taught that. And as I mentioned about the word judge, it has a negative connotation today, especially today. But you find it all over the scriptures. The Lord says, in fact, don't judge by the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We're called to make value judgments on where a person is coming from, what they adhere to, who's speaking behind them, we're this God of the devil. And stay clear away from the devil. Step one is to have the word of God and the spirit of God exposed, the true condition. Step two is doing something about it to protect my own soul first. And then protect the people with me. He said the worship is a farce. It's all fake. God says, I, I'm so disgusted. This is the same Jesus in Isaiah that says, Get away from my altar. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Then he speaks about the fifth commandment and how they perverted that. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear all of you. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body it defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Whether it's ourselves or someone we care about or a stranger, the one thing that we must be keen on is seeking the Spirit of God to help us to diagnose What's going on in the inside? Because if everything else is attended to, that's ignored. Everything is lost. It's a waste of time. It is a farce. Wouldn't you rather have somebody come, even if they speak roughly, even if it rubs you the wrong way initially? That is not the way I would have spoken. It was very rude. But suppose like John the Baptist, they told you the truth to your face because of compassion. And that's the manner in which God wanted to come through that individual. Wake you up. Very easy for us to reject the message because it doesn't settle well with me in the package that it arrived. Never mind that. The content that's most important. Is it coming from God or not? Let the righteous smite me. 
should be like that excellent oil on the head. It should be a kindness to me. I'd rather get a blow from a righteous person than to be flattered by people who tell me sweet nothings in my ear. Keep me comfortable in my foolishness, egotistical ways. Headed for fall. So the Lord spoke something that surely angered the religious community. But of course the common people heard him gladly because he was speaking the truth. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him, why did he get away from the crowd? Why did he want to do that? He's human also. He loved people. He gave everything for them. But there was a set time when the Father said, withdraw. And his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either? I'd like to, again, give an opportunity for someone else to read. If you'd like to read the words of the Lord Jesus from verse 18. And let's read 2.23. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. The Puritans, they call the Puritan divines and these men and women during that era, they were big on this thing called mortification of sin. That you have to deal decisively and continually watch out for and uproot any sin that may be in the heart. It's a far cry from the way religion is practiced today, even Christian faith. Most people will gloss over this because they'll assume I'm covered by the blood. But the fact is that if there are evil thoughts in the heart, if there's sexual immorality, if there's thoughts, there are thoughts of theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It's one thing to say I have a problem with these things. One or two things, maybe three or four. I have a problem where the meditations tend toward this area. And it's not like I'm hit with an arrow from the devil to move me to think something proud, but I'm actually finding that I go along with it for another second or two or a minute or a few minutes or half a day, and it takes a while for me to really face it and, and deal with it. That's a problem. But it's not as big a problem as one who says, the blanket statement, oh, that 
God forgave me. He forgives you. I'm okay. You're okay. Now let's talk about praying and doing God's work, evangelizing, and all those things. Because this really will get you down. I mean, I don't want to be sin conscious anymore. You know, always talking about sin and they kind of get me down. Once again, we refer to the analogy of the test. The Word of God is like a mirror. It's like a test. It comes to try the heart. The Word of the Lord tried Joseph. And it will try us. If I have nothing to hide, then who would want to avoid the examination? Who wouldn't like to go and say, well, I like to see that hundred every time. I like to see that things are clear with me every time. But it's when somebody is not doing well that they don't want the physician to come. Virtually, that is. They don't want God to come and expose. He said this is the diagnosis of many an individual universally. Light comes and exposes something wrong in the heart and they run away from the light. So it's a telltale sign of a sick person, a backslidden Christian, who glosses over the words of Jesus when it doesn't suit them. Instead of saying, let me see again, as I mentioned about C.T. Studd, the cricketer, who is a virtual millionaire, and he came to faith and just laid everything on the altar, along with his wife. God used him so wonderfully. So powerfully, and at the end of his life, he's going through the scriptures. Son-in-law said, what's wrong, Dad? What's happening? You seem to be so intent on just flipping through the scriptures in this lantern light or whatever lamp they had in Africa. He left all the glory in England to go and give his life so multitudes of Africans can come to the faith. And multitudes of English people and people worldwide, as his testimony rings true even to today, can be inspired to true, loyal obedience and love for the Lord Jesus. His answer to his son-in-law was, I'm trying to see if there's something here that the Lord told me that I haven't done yet. How marvelous. We go through this list and the Lord said, this is the problem. The problem is, the heart is not right. And it takes work. Yes, a work of grace, but a cooperation so that we don't frustrate that grace by being very militant and crucifying these things. We cannot go on with this. To no amount of good works, community work and help and efforts will ever take care of these things, you see. These things must be rooted out, uprooted. Because this is the problem that defiles people. Not the external things as these Pharisees thought. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in. But he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. And she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian 
Phoenicia, just on the upper western coast of the Mediterranean Sea, in the land of Israel, beyond actually, the Gentile territory. Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, my people, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. The other gospel, you see, that he actually didn't reply initially. But the word that she did hear from Jesus was, it's uh, not your turn, it's not really for you. In other words, was it just that the Lord was testing her faith, or was it true also? Absolutely it was true. He didn't come to be born in the neighboring territories of what is now Jordan, Moab territory. He wasn't born uh, over in Mesopotamia. He was specifically born through the lineage of the first Jew, Abraham, as God promised him. That through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through who? Galatians, the Holy Spirit records to the Apostle Paul, is the seed, singular, Christ. He was set to come through the Jewish line to, first of all, minister to the Jews. It's true. Isn't it marvelous? On the one hand, it was the woman's persistence, but also you see God adjusting. It was his plan. He knew this woman was going to come. But you see that if we dare to believe, God can change the protocol, quote-unquote, to the person who exhibits that faith, which he commends as something marvelous, unlike what his own people should have had. First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, both in the natural and the spiritual, both concerning a human family, anywhere, that the child before the pet should be fed as a priority. The human being made in the image of God. And uh, also for the house of Israel, that God had an order. As you see in the book of Acts, it started from Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. There's a progressive order and a protocol God followed. When this woman comes in, it's like someone cutting the line. Absolutely phenomenal. How God's heart is so tender when we come to him in the right way with faith, trusting in Him, that He is going to help me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let that encourage us this morning. And who are we? We're not like this woman. Yes, we're Gentile. I believe all of us are. But we are in the Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have even more. Much, much more. We're encouraged to be bold and to press in and say, Father, I want you to solve all my problems. Hallelujah. You don't have to go to God and bargain like Abraham did. Lord, if you find 50, how about 50 minus 5, 45? Lord, if you find 30, 
2010. We can go and say, Father, I'm coming to you in the name of your beloved Son, my Lord and Savior, the one by whose blood, O Lord Jesus, I'm cleansed. Father, I need help here, 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 here. We can take all of it to the Lord, every petition. And as it's written in Psalm 138, claim the promise. The Lord shall perfect that which concerns me. Anything to do with me, as his beloved child, he's going to make perfect. Hallelujah. I love it. All of his promises are ours. Who is willing to dig in for that treasure? And keep on speaking God's word as we heard yesterday. Repeatedly until we see the fruition of that faith in the manifestation of the answer. Answers. He said, it's not right to do this. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Suppose the Lord detoured right here and began to explain, look, you're more clever than the average person, but let me break this down for you. It's not time. I'm not done over here. That was enough for the Lord. God will never push us beyond what is required. Hallelujah. He's so good. But he does give opportunity to exercise the faith. Otherwise, what kind of faith is it? If it's not active, able to be demonstrated that I'm standing on the word of God. He said, good answer. He said, that's what I wanted to hear. She had no clue, you see, but she kept pressing on. We'll be amazed at the things God reveals regarding how he feels about us when we come to him in faith. It's an embrace from him to say, you did the right thing, you did good. You trusted me even when it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Because you saw me, again as we heard yesterday, is bigger than your problem. In the other version, in New King James Version, he says, for this saying, go your way. Now, the Living Translation, New Living Translation paraphrases it and uh, interprets it sometimes, but in essence, he was pleased with the answer. He said, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Blessed be God's name. Hallelujah. Shall we not rejoice this woman who actually belongs to our family, how? Most was born far away from where she was from. She's a woman of faith. That's our linkage to her. As with the children of Abraham, all who have faith are the children of Abraham. The father of faith, family of faith. This woman got the result. Can we imagine what a torment it must have been for her? God only knows to have a female 
child, demon-possessed. Details aren't given. But we know often when people are demon-possessed, they would tear their own clothing. We don't know exactly what she faced, but it was a tremendous torment for her as a mother and for the child. When God came through, will He come through for you in a tormenting situation? And for me, He said, I am the Lord that healeth you. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I will provide for you. I have a lot of bread to give to you because you are my child. Hallelujah. God calls us to be people of faith, to press on, to believe God above the circumstances. And that word of God that we hold on to will dominate the circumstance and bring a miracle to pass. Hallelujah. The rest of the chapter, we see only a few more verses if anyone else would like to read. Mark chapter 7, 31 to 37. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The same wonderful Lord Jesus, still doing miracles. Have you ever been in a church that doesn't really believe in miracles? I have. The early part of my life at least here in the United States. And part of a church, in a particular denomination, that really didn't believe it. It was incidental, if ever it would happen. No one really prayed for miracles. But they read the scriptures. It wasn't far off from these pharisaical people. We're nullifying the word of God. They talk about social gospel and community movements to help the poor and all such things. It's good. We must help the poor. We must help our fellow man. We must be concerned and pray and do what we can. 
as led by the Spirit of God. But the first order of business is salvation of the soul. Because the body is temporary, very temporary. Where's the soul going to go? And with the soul, with whatever is needed for each individual to accomplish the will of God, God is ready, he stands ready to perform miracles. He's a supernatural God. He hasn't changed. But people make choices. I, I didn't really have a choice at that time. I was very young. But when I had a choice, I began to move out. Not from the home, but from the places that the Lord was showing me something's not right, especially when I got healed through another avenue by a believer who really believed in miracles. And so we're responsible for our own spiritual growth. And God, by His grace, has woken us up to see already in the book of Mark, in these seven chapters, we've seen tremendous miracles. It was a constant Miracle ministry the Lord Jesus had, and it hasn't stopped. And he stands ready to do a miracle for us, for our families. We have to be, for our part, not get complacent. Not say, well, I've been praying and I'm going to slack off a little bit. If your daughter is not saved, you should be knocking on heaven's door day and night. Because if she dies, she'll go to hell. It needs to be a priority. For you to pray. Same thing for a son or a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, whoever's within your circle. That burden must be burning. It really must be burning. Because it's possible for any one of us to get distracted and feel like, well, I've been praying a lot now. I, I suppose it'll happen when it happens. So let me back off from that fierce fight on behalf of their souls. Because it's the devil that's holding them captive. They can look pretty, they can look handsome, they can have money, they can have everything. But if they don't have the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne of their hearts, then the most miserable condition, worse than a homeless person sleeping by the gutter, but who just got saved, that person is richer and more powerful than your own family member who does not have the Lord Jesus. That's the truth. If we don't see it in these terms, how will we ever understand what's at stake and what we need to do? God is a miracle worker. But he works through people. As the Lord's been doing miracles for us, we're able to speak to our families. Bring hope. When they bring up this, that, and the other thing, and it's so sometimes burdensome to hear because they're suffering perhaps. Or because they're at their wit's end and maybe they're going out of their mind based upon some situation. It can be a relationship, difficulty. It can be a physical disease. It can be a financial crisis. And it just drives the person out of their element, so to speak, out of his or her element. And we're here watching. 
Can you say, well, Jesus can help you? The Lord can do something for you. Oh, mom. Oh, dad. Oh, whoever. There you go with that. I need answers now. Yes. Jesus is the answer. What you're going through is symptomatic of a bigger problem, my dear child. You need to turn over your life completely to the Lord Jesus. Completely. Everything. Then you see His miracle working in you. His miracle power. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns of Decapolis. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd. Why do you suppose he did that? Similar to what he did when he shut out the people who were bewailing the death of the little child and he had only the parents and Peter, James and John come in with him. He doesn't want demons with unbelief and just watching to see a spectacle how it's going to fail. And also for the individual to not be distracted as he intercepted Jairus from fully responding to the news that don't trouble the master. Death has come already. He said, only believe. He took this individual away so they could be alone. We need to just focus on Jesus. What did my Lord say? What is he saying to me? Lord, for dear life, I'm holding on to your word. That's all I know. That's all I want to know. You're my everything, Lord. You are the solution. You are life. You are the resurrection and the life. You are my healer, Lord Jesus. There's no one else, Lord. The dark night of the soul, you are there. Deliver my soul. Thank you, Jesus. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. The unique approach to the deliverance here. We don't know actually if he did it again similarly. It's just not recorded. So many things God did. The Lord Jesus did. We see in the Gospel of John. They were written. Because I suppose the whole world could, could not contain the books. But he's given what we need to know about this incident. Certainly, if virtue came out of his garment, what would come out of his saliva? Divine DNA. He's clothed with the spirit of power. Wasn't he the one? Yes. The same Jesus Christ that breathed into Adam's nostrils. From 4,000 years earlier. Such a compassionate, intimate God. He touched the lepers. It's like a person taking a beautiful baby, one's own child or grandchild, and 
seeing this innocent, beautiful, adorable human being. Mild, dripping chin. Beautiful, big eyes and full of smiles and the baby movements and it's just so delicious to the soul. You don't want to just look at the baby. You want to hold the baby. You want to cuddle with the baby. You want to kiss the baby. The love of God draws us into his embrace. And as is written in Malachi, the Son of Righteousness arises with healing in his wings. Under his wings I shall trust. He spat on his own fingers and touched the man's tongue. Nothing more intimate. It's like a, a mom eating from the plate and feeding the child from the plate or a bird feeding from the mouth. There's so many things the Lord writes. It reveals his heart of compassion. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Loosed from his bondage. The human personality was robbed of this person and so it is today. We want our children, we want those who have impediments physically, those who have mental impediments, those who have spiritual impediments. They may be speaking fine, mentally alert and wise in many things in life, but they're spiritually deaf, blind and mute. We want them to be free. Hallelujah. At every level. To do what? Be what God created them to be. To glorify Him. What should this person do now that he can speak? Surely proclaim the praise of God. And so it is with our tongues. Blessing and cursing should not come, but only blessing. So it is with our ears. We ought to give ear only to that which is true, honest, virtuous, praiseworthy, lovely, of a good report. Imagine constantly hearing the things from heaven. What a vibrant life with spiritual progress. We're able to do that if we make that choice. There are many things we can do to exercise the self-control and keep a very strict spiritual diet that only builds us and builds us and builds us. To cut away the leakages Keep going. Just one way. God's way. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Repeatedly we see that he couldn't be hid. How can you hide light? They were completely amazed and said again and again, 
Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. He's the creator. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful works of God. As it's written, Lord, in the scriptures, Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. Thank you, Lord. Father in heaven, I pray that you help each one of us as we hear about the great works of God. We hear about your great compassion. We hear about your spiritual alertness and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit teaches. How to be alert, to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Lord, to do exactly what you want when you say to do it. Only that. Oh God, thank you for training us, Lord, through your word, through your counsel, through your spirit. Lord, help us, Lord, to do the same thing you did. To go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. I draw near to you, Lord. And Lord, wash me. I want to empty myself. I don't want to know anything, anything at all except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Continue ministry healing, O Lord, to those who are suffering or struggling, Lord. Rain down your mercies, not just the drops, the showers of your blessings, Lord. Lord, like a rain that comes on a parched ground, let there be a sweeping torrential downpour of the Holy Spirit. This latter rain to revive us, Lord, to be spokesmen and spokeswomen for you. Proclaim your truth to the ends of the world. See many people loosed from the bonds of the devil. Throw off that yoke. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that you give spiritual alertness to our loved ones who may yet who may yet have to come or yet to come to the Holy Spirit experience. Full of your joy. full of your direction. The riches of your word, Lord, with nothing hidden, with nothing taken away, nothing twisted. Every doctrine of man would fall away from our loved ones, would embrace the doctrine that comes from God, the liberating doctrine, anointed by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Go before your people this day, Lord. My Father, I pray that you make every crooked path, every plan of Satan, to be changed, Lord, altered, that we can do your will today, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you minister healing, Lord, to our loved ones. Thank you, Lord. You have more testimonies that you are storing up for us to be able to speak the rest of this year into the new year by the grace of Almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.